Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Measuring Feedback, Chapter 2, Overweight Top Performers, Part 1. Here we go. I assume we're not saying here that all your top performers are overweight. I just, I just had to, I just. Oh, come on. I just, I, I just. Well, you, I, we have a rule. Don't start a, don't start a cast with a really bad joke. <laughs> In our first guidance for managers about measuring feedback, we recommended just counting the amount of feedback you give, irrespective of who you were giving it to. Years ago, we had recommended managers try to spread their feedback out over all their directs kind of equally, but it really didn't work. No, it didn't. <laughs> yeah, managers had to think, who, to whom have I given feedback and so on? Should I give feedback to this person right now, or should I wait and give it to somebody else? And, and that's just too many questions to ask. But once you've started to get the hang of using, of using the feedback tool, a little more thinking, and of course, the whole point of the feedback tool, it's written in a way that you can memorize it so that you don't have to think about the delivery. And if you're not thinking about the delivery, um, a little more thinking about how you're doing with this new business process, feedback to your directs, probably won't get in your way. And so we have three bits of guidance today. Um, first of all, we want to reiterate that any kind of more is better um, initially, when you're starting a new process, getting more data, trying the process more is better. But once you get you know, reasonably good at it and you're past that as a value determining how good you're doing, then you can, then our second point is you can differentially give feedback to top performers. And what we mean by that is after you're giving a regular amount of feedback to everyone across your team, or you, you begin to feel like you're, you're giving feedback regularly, if you're ready for it, you can start saying, okay, I need, if I'm going to differentiate feedback, I'm going to give more feedback to my top performers. Generally, this doesn't happen until after you've gone through the rollout process and, and you're giving both positive and negative feedback, but it could happen sooner depending upon how many directs you have. And then, then we just recommend our final point is you just weekly, you just ask yourself roughly, hey, how much feedback did I give this week? And, and was it overweighted, to continue your joke, to my top performers? Because the feedback to your top performers, a la the Pareto principle, is more effective for organizational success. Top performers getting feedback uh, make bigger improvements and more frequent improvements than bottom performers. And that's not usual for most people. Most managers would say, that doesn't make sense to me, but that's in fact what the data show. Okay, so let's talk about your first point because it might be a little bit confusing to folks. I, mean, I think most folks listening have heard the, the phrase, you know, practice doesn't make perfect, perfect practice makes perfect. Yet you're saying any kind of more is better. It seems like that's a little at odds with the the common yeah, wisdom. Yeah, and, and and there's a there's a bunch of people listening to this cast who I'll call them high C's perfectionists who say, well, I'm going to wait. I'm going to think this through, and I'm going to not give feedback until I have the feedback model perfect in my mind and deliver it perfectly. And we generally find that adults don't do that well. It's better to actually try doing the thing rather than thinking about the thing. And oftentimes, people who are want to practice and want to get it right, say, um, I need to measure quantity and quality and frequency and timing and all these other things. And you lard up your evaluation of a new process such that the evaluation of the process conflicts with 
the delivery of the process. Um, look, and, and the fact is, when we start trying a new behavior it, in any part of our lives, we're not very good at it. You know, I joke with people at conferences, you've heard me say it, when you first tried to walk, you fell on your face and you cried for your mommy, right? Yeah. It, this is basically the adult learning model at work. We learn by doing. It's the human learning model, actually. We learn by doing. Um, we try, we fail, we learn from the fail. Uh, we change the behaviors we think caused us to fail. And we get different results, which we compare to our previous results. And this is the classic, you know, self-improvement cycle or continuous improvement cycle, right? We start getting better results and we learn, hey, we're going to adopt this new behavior. If you get worse results, you pause and you try something different. And I hate to say it because there are people who would like to eliminate it, but trial and error is probably the most commonly used change tool in, in the history of mankind. Um, and through trial and error, we end up getting things right. Uh, or at least right enough that our outcomes start to be more effective. And this, of course, calls to mind my, you know, the Ranger quote, good, better, best, never let me rest until my good is better and my better best. And, and look, to learn by doing, we sacrifice some initial inefficiencies. We don't do it very well for a speeding up of effectiveness. We get more effective sooner by willing, being willing to try. And once you start getting better, you start getting more efficient. So look, when we start taking action, and we talked about this before in our previous cast about counting feedback, literally counting, and I think it was, it was actually the poker chip cast, uh, the poker chip and hairband cast. Once we start taking action, the single easiest learning tool is more practice, more behavior, more feedback, more new efforts in order that results appear faster. If you, if you do a poor job giving feedback, and we, we see this all the time, and it's normal. Folks, if you're starting to give feedback to your directs and you're struggling, it's normal. It's completely normal. You shouldn't worry about it, okay? Yeah. But there are managers who go, well, that didn't go well. I need to study what happened there for a week. Oh, no. Well, studying, yeah, or, or you know, I'm going to pause. I'm going to think about it. Well, that's what they say out loud. What they're saying is, I don't like this. I don't like failing in front of my people. I don't want to fail. I'm not going to do it. Yeah, I won't do it. That's exactly what happens. They say, I'll wait a week, and, and then they never do it again, right? It's like right. falling off a horse. You, you got to get back on the horse. Yeah, and, and the, the thing is, is well, I'll, I'll do it better in a week by thinking about it. And the fact is, you only have one datum, that your failure, and it's not enough to know whether you did it right or wrong. It could have just been an aberration. And, you know, Wendy shared with me recently that the plural of anecdote is not data. <laughs> so, so, so the singular of anecdote is also not data. And the idea that one instance, and, and one instance of feedback where it doesn't go well, is no big deal. Um, in fact, I would argue that telling your folks, and we recommend, of course, telling your people that you're going to use feedback, telling them, I'm going to try something different. It's not going to be perfect. I ask you to forgive me when I make a mistake. In the same way that when I ask you to do something new, I'm going to give you some forgiveness. I'm going to give you some grace. We think that sends a message that learning is to be prized. We're not going to reward you if you do things right perfectly every time, but you never change the things you do because the organization asks you to change the things you do because the organization changes the things it does. And if nobody changes their behaviors, then the company's not gonna change its outputs and it's gonna get left behind. So, so what, essentially what we say in terms of starting something and, and doing it more frequently is, you know, we recommend, we almost always recommend focusing on measuring quantity 
before you start worrying about quality. And when I say quality, look, if I give feedback to Mike, if Mike's a direct of mine, God forbid, if Mike's a direct of mine and I give feedback to him and it fails, well, that's poor quality. It technically was one instance, it was one quantity, but it was very low or zero quality. So we recommend focusing on just how much you give, regardless of how poorly you do it, when you're learning almost any new professional or managerial or even executive skill. Um, or for that matter, if you're implementing a new process or a procedure, it's way better to accelerate the instances in order to get more data to know whether or not any one of them is an aberration. Yeah, and that, if you're high C, that's the way to think of it, right? Which is do more of them, get more data so you can... Yeah, make to feel good about, well, yeah, make a good dis distinction between what's what's really a, a valid theme and what is just, you know, randomness or long tail or, you know, yeah. Even if you're getting bad results, it's better to have more of them sooner to know. All, look, all processes and managerial behaviors are a form of process. All processes are gonna produce bad results. Even Six Sigma processes produce bad results. It's not a billion sigma, it's only six sigma. And if you don't know what six sigma is, folks, it's a, it's a process for improving quality in organizations and one sigma on a bell curve is one standard deviation from the mean and six sigma is six standard deviations. And if you go six sigma from the center of a bell curve, you're talking about errors one in a, in a million, I think. It's 99.99997 or something like that. Um, Pretty good. Correctness, it's point zero 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 three. error. Yeah, it's, it's good. Um, but by definition, in the bell curve and in sigma, 10 sigma, 20 sigma, a billion sigma, it, there's still an error, it's not perfect. If we're gonna learn from mistakes, hopefully we do, right? Gosh, all the great organizations and people of the world do. Why not accelerate how many we would get? Um, and, and by the way, folks, in case you're wondering, someday we're gonna apply Six Sigma to the Trinity. It just makes sense. Six Sigma is a powerful technique and so is the Trinity and we need to figure out a way to measure it. Um, we've learned basically that when we ask managers to change their behavior by asking them to do something new in, in a precise way, in other words, there's a specific way to do it rather than just, quote, having a conversation, unquote. If you tell somebody to do something in a certain way and you do it to, to someone particular, and, and, and again, in a particular way, only under certain circumstances with other professionals, somebody else involved in the conversation, if you will, very few of us could do it at all. If there's a great deal of precision required in your interaction with another human being, it's really hard. People have to calculate. They have to think so much um, to determine if the thing went right or it was correct. And, and so people don't do it. And so, again, when you're first starting out using the feedback tool, we recommend you only try to give more. More is the simple word for quantity. Okay? Don't worry about who you're giving it to, to whom you're giving it. Don't worry about when you're doing it, morning or afternoon or middle of the day. Is 10 a.m. better than noon? Nobody cares. Okay? or where you're giving it. Oh, look, don't give it in a, you know, don't yell it across the cubes, right? Like Jack Nicholson ordering, what, crab dinners in, in uh, as good as it gets. Um, you know, just don't worry about those things. And, and again, don't give negative feedback in public out loud, right? There are casts for that. Let me just suggest a way to think about it, and you high eyes are gonna love this. Frankly, the way to do it is to be indiscriminate about it, to just start doing it. And to tell your people, look, I need to learn, I wanna learn fast. 
I'm going to give as much as I possibly can. Well, what about those folks who like to plan a little bit? Look, I totally get that. For those of you who want to plan, do so. Good planning helps. We need more planning, frankly, in too many managerial situations. And by planning, I, th I think what you're asking, like, just to be clear, what you're asking is, can a manager take a moment and gather her thoughts or his thoughts before they have a feedback interaction with somebody? That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Rehearse it in their head, yeah. Because if I say be indiscriminate, the highs are like, yeah, and the high Cs are like, no. <laughs> um, so yeah, good planning helps. So rehearse it in your head once, maybe even twice. And then go walk over and give the feedback. And it should only take 20 seconds anyway. So it's not like you've burned, you know, you've burned up an hour of precious resource of your time. And at the same time that we say good planning helps, again, planning when it comes to behaviors like this is rehearsal, mental rehearsal. But planning is not a substitute for the experiential learning you get. And I know that when you're first starting something out, if you're somebody who cares about getting things right, that experiential learning is both a blessing and it's also a burden, right? You get to learn how you did, but also you get to learn how you did. So planning can reduce some of your early mistakes. And, and both in the terms of the, the enormity of the size of the mistake, you're not going to totally, the more you plan, the, 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 you'll reduce the, the grossness of an error if you really don't know what you're doing. And you're going to probably make less errors. And it can eliminate a lot of mistakes. But it can eliminate all of them. And you're not going to learn the real value of the feedback model, nor your direct's going to get any value out of you if all you do is plan. Okay, look, Napoleon was known for detailed planning. He planned his battles out. He, he fought his battles many times in his mind before shots were ever fired. But he also said, no successful battle ever followed its plan. So you're welcome to plan, rehearse in your head. Say, I'm gonna say this and this and this and this, here's the exact words. If you're a freak about it and you wanna type it out and say the words on the paper, fine. But you have to also learn by doing. And by the way, I know some of you are thinking, those of you who have been listening for a while, uh, you're thinking about uh, straggling after ripe blackberries, but I'm not going to put that quote here in this cast. We'll do it at the end of the cast. Um, and it's very similar, right? All the planning in the world is wonderful, but you've got to actually do it. And if you're saying, I need to give feedback to one of my directs at 10 in the morning, and at 2 in the afternoon you finally worked out your script, folks, you're doing it wrong. Okay? I don't mind sitting down and writing a note to yourself. Okay, it's going to sound like this. I'm going to say it like this. And then I read it a couple times myself. And then I go give the feedback. And you pay attention to the response you get. And if you brief people in advance, there's going to be some initial trepidation. But then you're going to get, hey, thanks. Particularly if it's positive feedback. And if you don't do that and all you do is plan, your learning won't happen nearly as fast. And that's, you know, that's, that's worrisome. Yeah. What about after you've given, say, I don't know, 200 instances of feedback, right? I mean, surely at that point, folks have memorized the words, right? So what do you do once you've got to that point? I think 200 is a, sort of a good number. I've experienced working with a lot of managers. Then we get to two, when they self-report they're at 200, there's a high likelihood they're also self-reporting I'm comfortable. Now, some of you will be comfortable at 100 and that's okay. How long do you think that would take? I'm willing to bet that most people who are listening would say two to three months, but it's not, that's not been my experience. I think managers, in theory, love the model, love the feedback tool, and I think in practice, they don't like doing something in front of directs. In, in a one-on-one, -on -one, there's not a lot you're going to do wrong, but feedback, where there's some emotional investment on the part of directs, 
managers shy away from it more more than we recommend they should, obviously. And so I think four to five to six months. If you're giving a typical amount of feedback to your team, and when I say typical, I don't mean recommended, I say typical, right, based on the data that we have. If you're new to the tool, it might take you five or six months to get to that many instances. I think that's dumb. We're not saying it has to take that long, but for many people it does. Um, and by the way, we have further guidance about using audio tape to, to do some rehearsals so that you can practice by saying it out loud rather than doing it in front of a direct, uh, because we do believe that, that some planning is good, as we said earlier, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in war. But look, four to five to six months. Four or five, six months, okay, so the, the average manager, it doesn't have to be that way, but generally our experience, four to five, six months, somebody's given 200 pieces of, you know, instances of feedback, and they're pretty comfortable to model. So at this point, is it appropriate to start thinking about quality versus quantity? Is this where it shifts a little bit? I think you're right. But let me put it this way. I, I think 200 is a good proxy. I'll give a different proxy, which is, can you give feedback in five or six or seven seconds? Can you do that? Do you know the model well enough? Do you have it memorized like Canadians have O Canada memorized or Americans have the Pledge of Allegiance memorized? Um, you know, can you say, hey, can you give some feedback when you do X, here's what happens, thanks. Or, hey, can you give some feedback when you're late to a meeting, it slows us down, can you change that? Right, if you can do that and you don't have to think about it, right, um, you're unconsciously competent Right? We talk about the four stages of learning, unconscious incompetence, conscious incompetence, you suddenly learn that you can't do something. Then conscious competence, meaning if you think about it, you can do it. And that's what most first steps are when people are trying something new. And then there's unconscious competence, which is you've learned how to groove the pattern in your head such that you don't have to think about tying your shoes and chewing gum or walking. It just happens automatically. So I think if you could deliver feedback in 10 seconds, for virtually any situation, then that's another good proxy as opposed to the 200. But I think 200 is also good, Mike. I think you're right. Okay. Yes, we want to start adding quality because at that point, you've had enough quantity that your learning from each instance starts to decline to some degree. I and mean, we're not saying get rid of the amount of, the, the, the amount of feedback you give as a standard. I want you to keep measuring it, count it, uh, but now add quality to a standard. Um, up until now, we've only been counting how many, and now we say we're not only gonna count how many, we're also gonna count how effective, okay? So we're gonna keep counting how many at that point, but we'll also start counting how effective. Now, here's the problem with this guidance. As it happens, how good or how effective our feedback is can be hard to pin down. If you really want to think about it from the standpoint of the tool, the model, we'd really have to track the behaviors of our directs following the feedback to see whether or not the, the feedback was effective. Because the purpose of feedback is, of course, to encourage effective behavior in the future, either to change negative behavior or to, to continue to reinforce positive behavior. But tracking future behaviors of our directs is hard. And we actually tried asking our directs years ago, you know, how was that? But the responses we got weren't really very helpful. Basically, the pattern of the responses we got were, if they were a top performer, they loved it. If they were a bottom performer, they didn't. And the bottom performers didn't even like positive feedback, weirdly enough. Um, they were so worried about their fear of their boss because of their poor performance, any communication about performance scared them. That, that, that was the conclusion we drew from the data we got. Okay, so we're going to have to use some sort of proxy. And frankly, guys, this is some of, for some of you, this is going to be a stretch. 
the proxy is going to be a big jump. We direct our feedback to the place where the most work and most valuable work is getting done. So, in other words, in order to measure the quality, how effective our feedback is, rather than trying to track outcomes going forward, we're saying that we're going to, the proxy is going to be, we're going to put the feedback where we know it'll do the most good based on tons of studies that have existed about who to, who to give feedback to. And that is, okay, okay, you might ask, okay, how do we know that? What we know is... The, the disparity between people's performance makes an enormous difference in terms of outcomes in, in the organization. So look, despite what we all like to believe about our own cleverness as managers, me included, the manager tools experience shows that even after we've learned the words of the model pretty well, we're not that good at catching the right person, doing the right thing at the right time to really make a distinctive difference, okay? We're not good at finding on our own as a manager with our directs the most important activity that our directs are engaged in. That would be the idea of trying to make feedback more effective is let's find the most important thing that's happening. And, and so one of our, the reason why we encourage more feedback is because it increases our chances that will randomly happenstance onto someone doing something important. Okay, all this thinking brings us to a helpful thought process that has been used by management experts for decades. And it informs some of the stuff we've done in manager tools for years, but we've never shared it with anybody. It's called the plant manager analogy. And, and the way we do this, folks, is we want you to forget about the people on your team for a second. Okay, that's helpful. You'll just forget about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, yeah, just think about them as machines that produce work output. There you go. And guys, look, those of you are longtime listeners, in fact, I'm, I'm recording in Tasmania this morning, and um, a couple of longtime listeners, my friends Greg Ramsey and Troy Truen, just walked by into the house to have breakfast, and they're longtime listeners, and they're going to laugh when they hear this. We know that your people are machines, okay? However, if you analyze an organization and you don't take a humanistic approach to it. The organization has inputs and it has outputs and there's productivity inside it. And the productivity takes the form of people doing things, right? And so all we're doing is, is doing a, a, a really aseptic or antiseptic analysis of the organization and saying, we're looking at our directs like a factory. Your team of directs, really guys, if you think about it, is analogous to a bunch of machines producing output and you're the plant manager, okay? And in the plant manager analogy, which is a fairly standard way of thinking about things, even if you've never heard of it, sorry, we as plant managers can't automatically know every second exactly where in the plant the action most needful of our attentions is. We can't know in advance where to be at exactly the right moment to make the best possible impact. The plant's too big, there's too much going on. We can't watch everything. By definition, by Heisenberg, we look at one thing, we're not looking at everything else. So we have little, little evidence, historically, there's very little evidence that managers can be that surgical. And look, guys, if you can be, great, lucky you, but you probably think you are and you're not. And so here's the question that simplifies the way effective managers think about how to differentially spend, differentially spend their time when it comes to the plant manager analogy. Where would an effective plant manager spend most of her time? Would she spend it on the low output systems and the processes? Or would she spend it on the lines or the machines that produced most of her facility's output and or its profits? And some of you would argue, no, that's not the way to do it. I would spend time on the broken things, okay? Right? I'll constantly be fixing the things that are broken. But 
there's guidance on that that we have in a different cast. But, he, but here's a way to think about that thinking. How would you decide to spend your time if two systems or machines were broken? Well, if you're going to work on broken things, and there are two things that are broken, you can't work on both of them at the same time. So which one would you pick? What analysis would you apply to the two broken things? I would suggest you'd probably go back to where the output, greatest outputs and profits are. But, but think about it differently. Let me make it even harder for you. If a system can be improved, in other words, there's, there's future growth, future productivity that can be wrung out of it by tightening it or changing a, a part or improving the way you feed stock into it or whatever. If a system can be improved, might it be helpful to think of it as needing improvement, which is really just a different way of saying broken? And if that's the case, aren't all your systems broken? And if that's the case, which one are you going to work on first? And quickly, look, it, it fall, the analysis is just, you, you, you can't win this argument. You can't run fast enough to, to outrun the argument that you spend your line, you spend your time on the, on the machines and the lines that produce most of your output and or most of the profits, depending upon how output and profits are counted in your firm. Yeah. If you're looking to return on investment, you're going to invest where you can get the best return. Yeah, exactly. Right. So the effective manager spends his time on the most valuable processes and systems. In a plant, it's usually, as we say, high volume or high prof profitability stuff, as best as you can know that stuff. For managers of teams of people, those processes and systems and machines are individuals. If you were going to count output of your team of directs as machines that output work, the analysis is simple. The most work and usually the most profitable work is done by your top performers. Thanks, everyone. That's it for this week. We'll finish this series up next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.